Welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. Here on the podcast, we are excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. My name is Stacey Schubitz, and I'm here with my colleague, Melanie Meehan. Let's work together to inspire and empower students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Strong readers and writers are more likely to succeed in school, their careers, and in life. But first, kids need to develop background knowledge, vocabulary, and skills like comprehension to really strengthen their literacy. There's no question this is critical for their future. That's where BrainPop comes in. It's a learning platform proven to build knowledge and skills, but in the way kids like to learn, through movies and games. BrainPop makes kids really want to learn through the power of storytelling, a great sense of humor, and an animated cast of characters. While kids are laughing away with a movie after dinner or a game before bed, they're actually growing their minds. It's a win for them and a win for you. BrainPop is proven to help students succeed too. Just ask a teacher. They've been using it in school for over 24 years because it's backed by research and they've seen how much students can accomplish when learning feels fun. Now, the same team has made this award-winning platform easy to plug into your family's routine at home. Preparing your kids for a lifetime of achievement starts when you press play. You can try it free for two weeks and take 15% off your first month or year of membership. Just use our code TWTPOD15. This offer applies to BrainPop family or homeschool and new subscribers only. Hello, everyone. I am Melanie Meehan, and I am so excited to be back for season two of the Two Writing Teachers podcast. I can't believe that we are here for season two. We gave a lot of thought about how we were going to start this one off, and we are starting off the season with the fundamentals of writing workshops. So I am thrilled to be sitting here with Stacy Schubitz getting ready to talk about that. Hi, Stacy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Before we jump into this episode, I want to say in full transparency, as Melanie was just saying, you know, we intentionally are starting off with the fundamentals of writing, of writing workshops specifically. And so, you know, we know that people are in the midst of their summer vacation right now. Most people, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere or in the Southern United States, we understand that you are probably back in school and we apologize. We know you don't have as much free time. For many people, you're still on summer vacation. So we thought that we would do two back-to-back weeks of digging deeper dialogues. This week is about you know the fundamentals and next week we're going to talk about an asset-based approach to writing workshop. Then we are going to have three consecutive weeks of Tip for Tomorrow's, which are those shorter, bite-sized episodes that you can listen to while you are folding a load of laundry or doing dishes or whatever little thing that you have going on. These are more like our Digging Deeper Dialogues are more like, you know, walk the dog, take a car ride somewhere, et cetera. Um, so a big load of laundry to fold. <laughs> a big load of laundry. Like everyone soiled their clothes and they're full of mud and you have everyone's laundry to go. Right. So, um, so anyway, I, without further ado, let's start with, you know, why we're talking about this. Can you jump right in, Melanie? Yeah, I think that one of my favorite 
articles I've read about the why of writing workshop is by Katie Wood Ray. And she really talks about the inquiry stance. This is from years ago, I think, gosh, beginning of 2000. I would have to look back at exactly the date, but she writes about how writing workshop teaches students to read like writers, which is such an important thing. It kind of changes how we read, Mm -hmm. Um, keeps all of the content of the teaching grounded in what kids are creating. It really helps kids have a vision of what they're going to be writing. And I think that that's so important because it gives kids that agency that we're always looking for in instruction. Mm -hmm. And it really requires all of the gradual release of responsibility that, again, we talk about. You know, there's purposeful planning. There's purposeful intention to all of the moves that a teacher makes in writing in, in writing workshop. It, it is the way of teaching that empowers kids, inspires kids, and provides a framework for re- really creating joy and purpose within writing. And to me, if I boil down why and why it matters, those are really, really big ideas. They are. They are huge ideas. And jumping off of that, Ralph Fletcher in Joyrite states that writing workshop is both elegant and stunningly simple. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? And he reminds us that writing workshop works when students have choice, they're engaged, they have a sense of ownership, a real audience, and have teachers who value invention, originality, and voice. And those are the things that I think of when I think of a beautiful writing workshop. Yeah. I guess I also really think about the components Mm -hmm. of writing workshop. Like, what are the specific parts of it? It's not a bunch of people just sitting around and hoping that, like, something sticks. I mean, it's not a free, unstructured time. There are some real components to the workshop. So those components are full class instruction, small group instruction, conferring, and a share and reflection time. And of course, there are these fundamental beliefs of time, choice, student engagements, and students are working their way through the process like writers. And of course, the classroom environment is conducive to all of this happening. What else could you add to that, Melanie? You know, I feel like I always get the nod for grammar and the mechanics instruction. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of writing and thinking about that. And those are important elements that we teach in writing workshop. I don't want it ever to be misconstrued as, oh, it's just about getting words on the page. No, it's getting words on the page correctly. Correct. And it happens, you know, spelling and grammar instruction that happens within the writing workshop, but it should also happen at an outside of time, at an outside time allotted to it, away from the writing workshop. Does that make sense? Well, it's a great opportunity for a transfer. It's like the authentic practice and the authentic use, and certainly reminders are helpful. But it's where kids are—it's it, game day, right? It's like out there, really using the skills that you've been working on in other environments and practicing them and seeing if you can, you can do that when you're actually writing. So I don't want to spend too much time on what writing workshop isn't, but I think that we should just spitball a few things of what it isn't. And I will start off by saying it is not having everyone complete the same assignment or prompt. I think it's also not having anybody be working on any kind of a workbook situation. Mm -hmm. 
It's also really important to know that it's not following a script. It's not following a specific set of lessons, right? It's responsive to the writers who are in your classroom. I agree 100%. And the final thing I want to say that what it is not is writing that is done in service of a bulletin board. <laughs> Although you want to have a bulletin board, it just should be an Absolutely. interactive bulletin board that kids are using. Right. right. I mean, I've walked, I've walked into schools and I've been told like we are doing writing workshop. Um, I don't love the way of doing writing workshop sounds, but okay. And then I see a bulletin board and like everything is the same. Like everyone wrote a poem on spring or everyone wrote a response to one book. Well, that's, that's not writing workshop. They are writing, but that's not writing workshop. Stacey, just like in deference to that concept, if you walked into a classroom Mm -hmm. and you were like, wow, I can tell that this class does writing workshop. What would be there? I want to see kids writing. I want to see them in different parts of the room, on the floor, under desks, at tables, on beanbags, wherever it is. I want to see them engaged in writing. And I want to see that everyone's writing looks different as I'm walking around the room. Um, I want to see a teacher who I cannot find at first because they are sitting beside a student and they are conferring. I want to see some charts on the wall, but not a classroom that is papered over with charts that have all different genres, because that to me means that it's the entire year's stuff is on the wall and it's just wallpaper at that point. Those are like the quick things. And I I think, of course, I want to see mentor texts accessible to students. So I'm going to push it just a little bit more. If there are no students in the classroom Mm -hmm. and you just walk into a classroom, What are you looking for? Like, what are your big clues? Like, oh, this is a writing workshop classroom. Well, I think going back to the charts, I want to see something with those charts. I I would like to make sure that those charts are really focused on whatever it is the students are doing and just see it two or three. I'd like to see a wall, like maybe I, I know you do this with like checklists where students can go up to it and they can take a checklist or whatever the mini chart is that matters to them. I'd like to see something like that. I'd like to see mentor texts that are accessible to students, whether it's in a basket um, in the meeting area or a special place in the classroom library. I'd like to see flexible seating. And believe me, I've worked in schools where kids are at desks and they didn't have tables and fancy furniture, but there needs to be some type of flexible seating that I can see. Those are the big things. Am I missing something? Maybe access to tools, maybe. Oh, of course, a publishing center or writing center, something like that. Bonus points if it says that this is your writing center, you're responsible for keeping it up and stocked. But absolutely, we have to see that. The materials shouldn't be hidden away from kids. Yeah, if it's a primary classroom paper choices. Mm -hmm. Even if it's an upper elementary, I'd still like to see some paper choice. Mm-hmm. No, it's, and I would also just say very, very few, if any, materials bought from a teacher store, like, or pre-published materials. Like, I, I kind of celebrate the messiness. I, I don't really see it as messy. I, see I it don't as see it as messy. messy. My first principle was very anti Um, teacher store charts. And so here I am straight out of graduate school teaching for the first time. And he's like, Ms. Schubitz, 
I'm not going to do an impersonation because I he might listen to this podcast. We still keep in touch. But, you know, Ms. Schubitz, um, it's really important that you're creating authentic charts in the classroom. And I really don't like seeing tons of prefab charts. And I like had already went to the teacher store and bought a few things and I did not put them up because I realized that that was not actually useful. That was just decorative. Right. It's almost like everything in the in the room is made for by kids. That was something mm-hmm. that a friend of mine had once said, and I and I've quoted Missy Champagne, I think, on the podcast saying that before. But that's a nice way to look at it. A lot of you, again, we said at the beginning, you're listening to this perhaps at the end of the summer, perhaps at the beginning of the school year. A, a writing workshop classroom is pretty empty at the yes. beginning of the school year. Please start with some empty walls. I think of Beth Moore's 80-20 rule where 80% of the classroom is, you know, for or by the kids, 20% is the teacher. If you are in the kind of place where that is not necessarily honored, have a blank bulletin board with the fadeless paper and the borders and then put a little sticky or sign or whatever you want, like coming soon, work from students, coming soon charts. I I really think that it's important to have that emptiness to a classroom. Should it look inviting and ready for kids? Absolutely. But having tons of stuff from the teacher store or quotes that you like or charts that you used in the past is really not helpful. Yeah. No, thank you. Before we move on, I just want to um, tuck in a little PD tip for any coaches who are doing this who might be launching writing workshop for the first time. Um, When I've gone into a couple of districts and gotten them started on writing workshop, we do a little activity of what it is and what it isn't, because I think it's important for everyone to be on the same page of what writing workshop is and isn't. And next, what we're going to do is we are going to dive deeper into those fundamental beliefs that surround writing workshops. So this might help you as you're doing a what it is, what it isn't activity with teachers. And it's basically a sort. Is this writing workshop? Is this not writing workshop? And then you can have them resort what is and then put it in different categories, be it mini lesson, conferring, sharing, or choice, community, mentor text. And you, you'll decide how you want to do that. But I think that a what it is, was it, what it isn't is a powerful thing for people who are new to this work. Love that. Let's take a break. We'll come back and then we'll go a little bit deeper into what this means. Did you know you can purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? With Libro FM, you can pick from more than 275,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from real booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. Listen with the free Libro FM app while you do your chores, walk the dog, or relax at home. If you already love audiobooks and need to know what to listen to next, check out recommendations from the people who know best, booksellers. Two Writing Teachers podcast listeners can take advantage of this special offer. Get two audiobooks on Libro FM for the price of one. with your first month of membership with code TWTPOD. That's T-W-T-P-O-D. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the United States. And we are back. Let's think a bit more about these fundamental beliefs that surround writing workshop. Melanie, I know that you have four. I'm going to 
push my thinking onto you and try and convince you of a fifth fundamental belief. But I know that you believe time, community, choice, teacher as writer are like the four core things that you need. And I'm going to stick one more in there and it's joy. And, you know, we had a whole podcast back in April of 2023, all about joy, play and humor. But I think that I want you to talk a little bit more about the lens of joy and finding places to have joy in writing workshops. So yes, I'm adding a fundamental belief. It may just be our fundamental beliefs at that point, but go ahead. Can you talk a bit about time, community, choice, and teacher as writer? Well, you're making me want to go back and revise books I've written because I know I've written about those four things and put those out there as like, here are my four guiding beliefs, always with the caveat that those could change. So Mm -hmm. So as my dad likes to say about anything, it's subject to change with no notice. Right. Mm -hmm. Consider this notice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think that one of them, when I think about the community, like, that's so important to me as a writer, like mm-hmm. that there are times when I'm writing by myself, but there are times when I, I need to bounce ideas off of people. I need people to read my writing. I need to have people fix my writing. Mm-hmm. It, like, And I need to feel safe and trusting and trustworthy within that group. And I think that student writers need that same thing. Community is something that we have to start working on from the very moment that students come into the classroom. I mean, connections are built on day one. They are just nurtured all year long. We want a workshop where kids feel safe. There are writing partnerships. Perhaps there are interest groups. The teacher has to be the, a, a member of that writing community because that helps the teacher confer well, but it also makes them part of what they are trying to achieve. You listed choice for mm-hmm. me. And choice is a big one. Choice is, to me, one of the complicated ones because kids have to learn how to get their choice. When when I first talk to new teachers about choice, instantly they go to the choice in topic and choice about what kids are writing. Mm-hmm. And that is critically important. Mm-hmm. Sometimes kids aren't ready for that. So that's where I really emphasize that there are lots of different opportunities within a writing workshop for choice. Can you say more? Yeah, like whether it's paper, whether it's a writing utensil, whether it's where you're writing, whether it's how much time it takes you to get busy writing, there's just a lot of opportunities to give kids agency and opportunities for self-direction. And I would just say, look for those and, and have those. Agreed. You know, when we were talking about community, and I do want to go back to time, but when we were talking about community, this whole teacher is a member of the writing community. One of your fundamental beliefs, and mine as well, is that the teacher is a writer. Say more about that. I think we did a whole podcast on it at the beginning of season one. I think it was our first one. Yeah. Because it's so important. It's so fundamental. Mm-hmm. There are specific reasons for that. One is certainly to be authentic and to show kids that you're a writer also. But I think that the other thing about it is that you learn the metacognitive work that is mm-hmm. behind writing. And you can't really teach it by teaching into somebody else's story and being like, here's the story and here's the process you have to have that struggle yourself. Mm -hmm. The more that you have that struggle yourself, the better able you are to help kids find the pathways of dealing with the struggle. Because sometimes 
it's not a clear pathway and you might find additional trails to discover that that aren't in any kind of a script that you're going to ever see. I have nothing more to add because that is 100% my thinking as well. Um, so let's talk about time. Ample time needs to be allotted four to five times a week. 45 minutes. This is, yeah, this is the one that I feel like should be yours because you are always like the loudest about time for rating workshop of anybody I know. And I think it's so important. I am. I mean, I've lost consulting jobs because I didn't want to go into a school where writing was taught three times a week for 30 minutes. I don't think that you're going to move students forward if they are only working for 30 minutes, three times a week. Because let's be honest, that mini lesson takes about 10 minutes. And if you're doing a share or reflection, that's five. So the kids only have 15 minutes to write, and that's not enough. I've worked in schools where I had 45 minutes, and like that's okay. The ideal is really 60 minutes. I understand that's not in everyone's schedule, but I think that it's really important. And this is something I've worked with teachers on in districts where like their writing workshop was broken up by recess, and like the kids would get started writing, and then they'd have to go to recess, and then they'd come back and finish their writing, and they were completely unfocused because they had just been running around for 20 minutes. So I think it's really important to work with administration to find the time. And in every place that I've ever walked into, teachers have had supportive administrators. This is why I like going into places that have dedicated time to you know, really commit to writing workshop and they've tweaked their schedule. If writing workshop was in the afternoon and right after lunch and they see that it's not working, how can we change it around to another time of the day? And that takes administrator support, but that comes from the fundamental belief that kids need to write. They need large stretches of time to write and it can't be three days a week. It needs to be four or five it also leans into the importance of teachers being writers. I think that when you are a writer, you learn very quickly mm -hmm. that the idea of going to recess in the middle of doing your work and coming back and getting back on it doesn't work for many writers unless they are specifically taking a recess in order to re-engage in their thinking, which really isn't why kids are going out on on recess. Right. It was like, <laughs> oh, this is what works in the schedule. And look... The principal worked with these teachers to make sure that that wasn't happening anymore. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, it's so nice when when there's that respect for teacher input and there's this fundamental guiding belief of time. There's my four and mm -hmm. now five really like core guiding beliefs. But all of that being said, there's also predictable practices that yep. I feel like we should really struggle. Like there's, there's like the, the bottom lines that still exist within the, the writing workshop. And I think we should talk about some of those. So let's talk about predictable patterns to a workshop. A workshop begins with min, a mini lesson. There is an architecture for the mini lesson. I think it's really important that, I mean, to this day, I still use certain phrases to help kids understand what part of the mini lesson we're in. And that is because in my third year of teaching, one of my students came up to me and she said of myself and my student teacher, Ms. Schubitz, I know when we are about to leave the meeting area because you always say today and every day. And that is my clue that I'm going to have to write a plan and go off and write. And 
that really moved me because that was very early in my career. And I was like, oh, there is something to be said about these stems and this architecture of a mini lesson because it allows students to know how the teaching is going to flow and what they are going off to do next, which is independent writing. And that's the time where the teacher works with students, peers are conferring, and then the workshop ends with a share or a reflection. And that is the first thing that always gets cut. It really shouldn't get cut. You have to protect that so much in order to make it happen on a daily basis. Yeah. We have lessons in our writing launches in my district where teachers explicitly teach into the parts and components of the writing workshop and Mm -hmm. the parts and components of the mini lesson, Mm -hmm. both so that kids are able to have that as a predictable pattern and teachers are able to really understand and refer that and invite kids to hold them accountable for it. You know, the kids all know that I'm a dog person, and I will also say to them, when I say in my mini lesson, today I'm going to teach you, it is the equivalent of me reaching for the the bucket of dog biscuits on the counter, Mm -hmm. and the dog's going, you know, whoo, like, pay attention and get ready because I'm going to ask you to do something after I teach it to you as part of the active engagement. Like, you've got to be ready to participate in a way. So listen up, guys. Exactly. I remember being in a classroom and the students just didn't understand their role. It was a second grade classroom in a mini lesson. So I created a chart and we actually, Lindorfman and I put it in Welcome to Writing Workshop in our whole class instruction chapter on the teacher's role during a mini lesson and the student's role. And I'm not going to list it here. I actually think that Stenhouse gave me permission to put it on two writing teachers. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But it's it's really important that if kids still don't get it, that they understand their role and the teacher's role, just like you would teach into what conferring looks like, the student role and the teacher role. It's really important to do that also in a mini lesson, especially if kids aren't coming from that mini lesson culture and workshop is new to your school. I mean, it's going to take some time to hit the ground running and for kids to understand what's expected of them because it's very different than a non-workshop classroom. Right. Here's like a little coaching tip. Also, I will say to teachers, I should be able to give you any teaching point and you should be able to construct that into a mini lesson. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways that I will push teachers away from a script Mm -hmm. and into a really responsive to student stance. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, here's today's teaching point. How's that going to go in a mini lesson? Let's hear how you would deliver that. And that helps build the teacher's understanding of the arc, the, the architecture, mm-hmm. and thereby will help students understand their role in it. So I think the two are just so critically important and interrelated. And I'm just going to add something that I, you know, once heard Lucy Calkins say that I think is important for anyone who's like, <gasps> I have to write my own mini lesson. Like, how's that going to go? What, what is that going to feel like? Lucy has said A mini lesson shouldn't take longer to write than it should to teach. If it takes you 20 minutes to write the mini lesson, something is up. And obviously, when you're just getting started, it it is going to take you a little bit longer. But ideally, once you really understand workshop and the structure of a mini lesson, it shouldn't take you more than 10 minutes to write your own mini lesson. 
That's it. Right. Because then the, you know, as we move into the, the components, you want to preserve that 20 to 30 minute space of time for independent writing, mm-hmm. where again, students really know and understand what they're doing and teachers are working on conferring in small group work. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges that I will give to, to teachers is to think, okay, during that span of time, I'm going to run one small group one conference, and ideally one partner conferring session. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, then you are in the flow of workshop. And that's something to kind of aspire to and work toward. But if you can do that, deliver your mini lesson, have independent writing time where those there are those three meetings mm-hmm. and interactions, you know, one one individual, one partner, one small group, then you are hitting seven kids mm-hmm. during that independent writing time when the other kids are working intently on something. Have your mid-workshop interruption, like a two-minute event. Mm-hmm. And it's an event. <laughs> it's an event, like yes. a, but not a big one. And Stacy's tip for tomorrow on mid-workshop interruption, if you haven't read it, I would go back and find that as a podcast. Um, because it it is brilliantly simple, but brilliantly important, even about where a teacher stands, like stand in the same place. Writers, give me your eyes. I have a mid-workshop interruption. Students know and understand their role in that. Mm-hmm. Interrupt them. It's a great and important shift in the work that they're doing that allows them to then go back and work more intently in the second half of the workshop. And then again, you've got your second half of the workshop where one small group, one partnership, one con- one individual conference. And if you can do that, you're doing an amazing writing workshop. You are. Let's talk about ongoing assessment and feedback because we are talking about conferring and that is a time that we are giving students very personalized feedback. We read drafts of student writing. And as I've you know said to other people, learning this the hard way, you don't need to read everything that your students are writing. Create some type of cycle so that you are not reading 25 or more drafts every time your students are drafting. I would actually add to that, that Mm -hmm. if you are able to read all of the student writing, then they're not writing enough. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, or you're not sleeping enough and sleep is important. So it's one of those two things. That is an important way to give feedback as well, but we don't want to be writing all over student drafts, telling them what to do, fixing their errors. Like they need like solid, concise feedback. Another way for ongoing assessment is to do on-demand pieces where students show showcase what they know about the genre. You give them a small task, then they have 45 minutes, 60 minutes just to write uninterrupted without any teacher or peer help. That's really an important way to assess. Do you have some others to add to that? Ask kids. Like today I'm, I'm going to be walking around and I'm looking for the use of transition words. I'm looking for the use of capitals and periods. I'm looking for the use of little anecdotes in your personal essays. Like have something specific that you are letting them know that you are coming around on the hunt for. And when you walk by them, they are to point out in their piece where they have done it and have a checklist where you're checking them off as doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful way. 
One of the things that I didn't say as I was describing that kind of perfect workshop is also give yourself time to step back and just watch kids. Mm-hmm. Like take a minute in between each of those interactions. They're really worthwhile minutes and watch kids for specific writing behaviors or for specific interactions, whatever it is, uh, because those are important elements of assessment as well. And teach your students not to interrupt you. Another idea that I would use in addition to those on-demand assessments are the checklists. And many people who are listening to this have access to the Teachers College checklist. If you teach kids to use those checklists reflectively, honestly, intentionally, Mm -hmm. then those are really powerful substitutes for your red ink. (laughs) Like you don't have to be writing on kids writing or reading kids writing. If kids are able to authentically be assessing their own work and setting goals and thinking, what have I got and what am I working toward? So that's the kind of mindset that you want to create within your writing workshop. And I'm just going to add one other thing. It's call it a little tip or what have you. Make those checklists personal to students. If you have the time and the ability to do that, we we all know that an average fourth grade class, not everyone is working at a fourth grade level. So look at other charts from previous grades. If you have, you know, this you know, the Writing Pathways book from Teachers College, you can do that. You can also look at the standards for the previous grades. And if students haven't met those standards, change up whatever it is on the chart so that they can meet those standards and put that on the checklist. You know, it's just personalizing it because you want kids to use checklists for more than just checking things off blindly. Like they need to be doing the work. And so personalizing it, which is so time consuming, and I get that. But once you do it, you pretty much are going to have things that you could work with, you know, in future years as you teach that same grade. But it's really impactful for students. I think we need a podcast on checklists. (laughs) I think that would be a good one. I also, before we end, I think it's really, really important that we talk about the writing process and what it can look like in the writing workshop. Because, you know, one of the things that we talked about what writing workshop is not, is everybody working at the same time in the same part of their writing Mm -hmm. or writing the same kind of a piece. And, And this is, again, stemming from teachers being writers. My writing process is really different than other writers I know who I work with's process. Like I do a lot of spending time in drafting, whereas Mm -hmm. some other people might do a lot of time spent in planning. And I think that the more that you can understand that and know that some kids need extensive and elaborate plans and other kids don't. Mm-hmm. That's an important thing to allow for and allow for that element of messiness, right? Like not everybody needs the same thing in order to create quality pieces. The goal is quality pieces. The goal isn't necessarily an elaborate plan. Correct. And I think it's important as students are going through the writing process many times during the year to talk with them about it, confer with them about it so that they start to understand their process so that they can figure out what kind of writer they are. Because it's really important that kids know who they are as a writer. Yeah. Well, and if you get really good at it, then kids can start recognizing that they might be a different kind of writer in different genres or with different pieces. Yes. 
And there's real truth to that when you are an authentic writer and you know and you understand the process. Yeah. I think there are two more really important things to discuss. Mentor texts and audience and purpose. Which one should we go with first? Mentor texts. Let's leave with the audience and purpose. I've got a couple of things I want to really make sure I say. Okay. Love mentor texts, so I can't imagine life without them as a writer. Mm-hmm. And they are published. They can be student-written. They can be teacher-written demonstration texts. Whatever they are, they are accessible to students. They are utilized by students. Um, I had a teacher say to me recently that they don't use mentor text because their students are on too many different levels in the classroom. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. I don't understand. And the teacher responded to me that, you know, she had like four distinct levels of students, how they were operating. I guess she meant maybe like somewhere on second grade level, third grade level, fourth. I don't totally and understand. You have mentor text. Right. And my mind was blown and I just, I didn't even try to fully understand it. I was like, but that's the purpose of mentor text. That's the beauty of them. Like you can have several and hand one to a student and allow it to be a silent teacher once, you know, you've studied it with them and you've walked away, like, no, one size does not fit all and it shouldn't. That's why we use different texts in a unit because the the writing may not be accessible to all kids. It might be too hard. It might be too easy. So that's why we have different mentor texts. So please remember to use them and to, to give students some choice in them because that is really what's going to move them forward as a writer. Right. I'm just going to also add to that. And we've talked about this in other podcasts and we should link them. Mm-hmm. But it's also some mentor texts aren't interesting to all kids. Correct. So kids need choice in the topics and what they're what they're reading, the languages. Like There's just so many options and opportunities and ways to use them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Literally wrote a book on it. So I can talk about it all day, but I won't. Um, I did have a tip for tomorrow last season in, I think it was May, that was about mentor texts that endure and just how to make sure that that happens because we don't want it to just be a text that students use in the immersion phase. Like they should have accessible, you know, the text should be accessible so they can come back to them at all parts of the writing process. Shall we close with audience and purpose? Because I mean, you know, I think it's really important to think about audience and a student's audience should be much more than the teacher. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that whenever we can provide students with the idea of an authentic audience, they're more motivated. They're thinking about who they're writing for, and it changes the intent and the content. It does for me as a writer, right? I I write very differently depending on who I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. And I think um, something that I learned from a book called Smart Brevity, uh, The Power of Saying More with Less, is really to just think about like one person that you're really truly writing for. If you're having trouble discerning who your audience is, just think of that one person and that might really help you hone in on who your audience is. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that again, for many people, they think, okay, you know, there are purposes for each of the genre of writing and I'm going to be thinking about the audience as I think about each of those genres. 
The other thing that I just want to say and and emphasize is that sometimes writing isn't to entertain or to inform or to persuade. Sometimes it's to figure out. So mm-hmm. if an audience is yourself, that's okay too. Like if it's that I'm I'm writing this piece because I have some things that I need to figure out, that's a really therapeutic and beautiful way to use writing too. It is. Let's close there. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.